Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, tech team, for how they serve us every week so well. I want to set up the last sermon of 2023 this way. Let me give you some famous last words. E2, Brute, the last words of Julius Caesar in Shakespeare's famous play. Thomas Jefferson survives. These are reported to be the last words of John Adams, his political rival, unaware that Jefferson had died earlier that same day, right? Are you guys ready? Let's roll. These were the last words of Todd Beamer, passenger aboard 9-11 flight uh, 93, when the passengers took back the plane from hijackers, giving their lives to save countless others. Famous last words. And the words that we're about to read this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4 are last words, but much less iconic. We'll just do this. These are the last words of the Apostle Paul, the last written words recorded by him in the book of 2 Timothy. And in these words, Paul reviews the joys and pains of friendship that ultimately points us for the hope of Jesus as our eternal friend to sinners. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read from verses 9 to verse 22. These are the words of God and the final words written by the Apostle Paul. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, for the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his glorious kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Oneferus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus has, sends greetings to you. So does Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of God. As Paul pins these words, he knows that death 
It's fast approaching. If you look in the previous section in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 8, he talks about how he is ready to be poured out as a drink offering. His death is coming. He is in prison, and he knows the execution is coming for him soon. And Paul is reflecting over his life as his, doom, as his death looms large, and he's thinking about his friends and his foes. And he wants us to think in particular about friendship. And all of us in our church and beyond know friendship. We know that friendship can be a great joy and can bring great pains. We know what it is to have to be hurt relationally, all of us, by people that we know, we trust. We all know what it is to experience drama between friends and have to pick sides. We all know what it is to feel betrayed by people we trusted, even people we call friends. And I hope as we look at this section, we rejoice anew in the friendships that God has given us. We would heal from friendships in dismay, and we would be guided through our friendships under pressure. There are six points, six things that the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit through him would want us to see about friendship as we approach the new year. First, he would want us to see that friendship is a gift to be received. Friendship is a gift to be received. Notice as we go through this passage, two truths are affirmed simultaneously. First, in verses 17 and 18, Paul says that really, truly, the only friend that he has and needs in his lowliest moment is Jesus. And he also says, Timothy, I need you to come to me soon. Jesus was his dearest friend in the world, but that didn't mean that Paul didn't need friends in this world. Because friends, hear me. God has meant for you to have friends. During his imprisonment, Paul relied on Jesus, but he also rejoiced at the thought of seeing his friends there with him. There are over a dozen names of real individuals in this chapter. Plus, remember, Paul is writing this letter to his young protege, Timothy, a, a guy he considered to be his son, in the faith, and he says, verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. I, I love the presence of Jesus. I need the presence of Jesus, but I also need the presence of friends, of people around me. And notice what Paul asked Timothy to bring. He says, Timothy, if you can, when you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all the parchment. So he says, bring my coat. It's probably cold in the prison. It's very likely winter is approaching. He says, see Carpus and Troas. That's on the way. Troas was a port city that would have been perfectly positioned between Ephesus, where Timothy is, and Rome, where Paul is. He says, while you're driving through, stop and get my coat. And then Paul says, bring the books and the parchment. Bring me something to read. Every book lover has found their life verse, right? Bring me something to read, Timothy. Many commentators believe the scrolls he's talking about here were likely the Old Testament. And Paul here is speaking to every bookworm's heart. I need something to read. 
Timothy, come soon. Bring my cloak and bring me some, some of my books. Even the Apostle Paul, as holy as we consider him, couldn't live life in isolation. And even consider how Jesus, the God-man, could have walked this life alone but chose to surround himself with disciples and friends. Friends, you need godly friends in your life to fulfill God's vision for your life. You need other people around you. So the question to ask is, do you have friends? Do you have people whom you desire to see in order to be encouraged and to encourage them? Have you ever considered that Christian friendship is the only relationship you have that will never end? you got married, some of you made sure about this on the inside. You said, till death do you part. Right? But friends, so friends, marriage has an end date at death or the second coming of Jesus. But friendship remains beyond death and beyond the second coming of Jesus. Michael W. Smith put it this way. Friends are friends forever when the Lord, the Lord of them. Friends, and in Jesus, God will bring every long-lost friend back together because in Jesus, friendship is blood-bought and eternally significant. In Jesus, friendship is forever. And so do you have friends in your life who you share vital, life-giving time with? People who you would call upon if you were in the pit of despair as Paul is here and if you have these folks in your life, maybe they don't know Jesus. Have you ever thought about introducing Jesus to them, that they might be a friend with you forever? You need the presence of Jesus and the presence of godly, faithful friends. But let me tell you, Paul doesn't want you to think that friendship is all easy. He doesn't want you to look at it through rose-colored lenses. He reminds us of the second truth. Second, that friendship can be a painful Reality. Friendship can be a painful reality. Look at verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I want us to feel the weight of that. It's like if you were reading that, Paul's tears stained the page. Demas left me and went to Thessalonica, and he left out of love with this present world. This isn't saying he loved the world in the sense that God calls us to love other people. No, friends, he left and deserted not only Paul, but the implication is deserted Christ because he loved the present world. What was in Thessalonica? Was it a woman? Maybe it was money? Maybe it was just that Thessalonica was a much safer place than on the road with Paul doing ministry. And we never get any indication that Demas repented. But friends, we're reminded Paul was deserted by someone near and dear to him. In fact, you can go look this up later, but if you go to the end of the book of Colossians and the end of the book of Philemon in your New Testament, you'll read about Demas briefly, that Demas was with Paul, he was sending his greetings, and he was a fellow worker alongside him. But now the 
Colossae has deserted him and left him in love because he loved the world more than Christ and their friendship. Friend, people, friends will let you down and they will break your heart. And it's a warning to you that if you are a Christian long enough, if you're a believer long enough, friends, you will do ministry and sing worship songs next to someone who will be a Demas and walk away and desert it all and friends, leave us heartbroken in the process. There truly is no pain like the pain of losing a friend and in watching someone shipwreck their life. And someone who was growing vibrantly next to you wither away the faith that spent such time building. Friends, every relationship will come with risks. People will hurt you. And it wasn't just Demas. Look at verse 14. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. You can go look in the previous letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy, we read about an Alexander who was with a group who had left the faith and was opposing Paul's message. This may have very well been the same guy, maybe not. But the point is this. Demas deserted him. Alexander afflicted him. People will let you down. It's the great risk of every relationship Sometimes friends are going to let you down due to the decisions they make. That's certainly the case with Demas and with Alexander. But friends, sometimes people will let you down due to no fault of their own. Sometimes people will let you down because circumstances will change and they're going to have dueling priorities in their life. Sometimes you need your friend to be there with you, but your friend is needed somewhere else. Sometimes friends let you down because they simply can't be God. Anyone who isn't God will always let you down. They can't be everywhere at once. And we can both recognize our hurts and their humanity. Look back at verse 10. After talking about Demas, we read this. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So notice, all these people can't be with Paul, but they seem to have good reason for where they are. We read later about a guy who he left sick in Miletus. And then Paul talks about his moment of deepest need. No one came to his defense. Verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. No one came to Paul's defense. This is speaking about in the legal process in Rome in these days. This would have likely been the arraignment part of this trial. And during this part of the trial in those days, they would bring, they would allow you to bring character witnesses to speak for or against you in court. And when it came time for Paul to come up and people to speak on his account, none of his friends showed up to speak for him. Not a single one showed up. Sometimes we need friends to come to our side to answer the phone, but they can't. 
It's not out of malice. It's not because they deserted you. They were needed somewhere else. They are human, and humans will let you down. And we shouldn't fault people for being human because we ourselves are human. People can't be everywhere we need them to be. We read again about these handful of folks who likely had legitimate reasons to be away from Paul. They were knee-deep in ministry in these various places. But some of us think our friends should never let us down and always be there for them, but we might not let them expect that from us. But friends, that's simply not possible or fair. In fact, some of us want our friends to be gone, to never leave us, never forsake us, to always stand beside us. But our friends will fail us, sometimes due to their own sin, sometimes just due to their own humanity. One pastor I listened to this week said, all of your friends are fallen, fickle, and finite. They will not always be there by your side. And friendship will hurt sometimes. People move on to new callings. People leave due to sin. Circumstances get in the way, and many times we're tempted to throw in the towel on friendship when we get let down. But Paul shows us another way. Here's the third point. He says this, don't let bad experiences soil continued relationships. Don't let bad experiences soil continued relationships. Paul knows what it is to be wounded by his close friends. He knows what it is to be disappointed and let down. Yet he didn't let it keep him from the relationship with others, both with those who let him down and with others. So often in our culture, we're quick just to cut people off the moment that they don't revolve around us. We often make friendship a solely selfish enterprise. But friendship is meant to exist for all who are involved. Look at the end of the letter, verse 19. Paul sends greetings through Timothy to a number of people here. You've got Prisca and Aquila. These are folks who are likely the same folks who are named Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts, a godly Christian couple. You've got the household of Oneparus. They're mentioned back earlier in 2 Timothy and as a loyal friend of Paul. And you'll see a variety of other names there, all of which appear various places in scripture. And so this draws you to see that friendship doesn't have to look the same with every single person that you know. They, all these people had different connections to the Apostle Paul, and that's okay. Not everyone was the same level of connection. Not everybody's going to have the same level of connection with you, but that doesn't mean that they're not a friend in your time of need. Hear this. People's life situations are going to change. Some friendships are seasonal. Even lifelong friendships will have their changes. I learned this the hard way as I grew up. I graduated high school. They had my 10-year anniversary last night. None of my friends were even there. Which kind of, and I didn't even end up going because I realized the people that I wanted to keep up with, I already talked to. There's a lot of folks I thought, I will always talk to that person. And now look, you know, I couldn't even tell you how to get a hold of them, right? Relationships change. And this is something I think churches have to understand, because I've heard 
even of churches that would say, well, if somebody leaves the church, we should not be friends with them. And I think that's the wildest thing I've ever heard. Because friends, we can and should be friends with people who leave our church, who attend churches we left, people who change jobs, who get married, who have kids, who blow it all, who lose it all, who gain it all, who are friends with people we don't like, and so much more. Friends, they're going to have people in your life who are going to, who in those relationships are going to change. I've got a handful of guys that I might not talk to every week, but we know that if we ever needed anything, we'd be there for each other. We can call each other and pick up where we left off. That those friendships can look different, but be deep, meaningful, and abiding. That doesn't mean that it's not a difficult road. And when these relationships do get strained, when we get let down, when we get hurt, what should we do? First, the Apostle Paul tells us we need to leave room for personal reconciliation. Point four, leave room for personal reconciliation. I want you to consider verse 11. He says this, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me to me for ministry. So Luke, that's Paul's physician, and you'll read if you go through the book of Acts, there'll be times where the author of Acts, who is Luke, will say we, and times where he will talk about an event as if he wasn't there. So Luke has walked along Paul's side off and on throughout the book of Acts. But then he talks about Luke bringing Mark with him, because Mark's very useful for him in ministry. But let me say, Paul and Mark have not always gone along. In fact, Paul and Mark had a very public and sharp disagreement in their ministries. Mark was a young man, a traveling companion with Paul, and he was a cousin of Barnabas. Right? All these people began to kind of know one another's cousins and friends and everything. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we read that John Mark, as he's called, went on a journey with Paul, and part of the way through the mission decided he's going to go home. He's done. This is hard. He needed to go back in the middle of the mission. And two chapters later, in Acts 15, as Paul is going to begin a journey back to the churches that he planted, he had a very particular mission. He's going to encourage them and strengthen them. Somebody says, hey, why don't we bring Mark along again? And Paul goes, the guy that left us? I don't think so. Here's what we read in Luke chapter 15, verse 37. We read this. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, gone, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Paul with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. We see conflict over family and friends. It happens even in the church among God's people. Paul and he originally said, I don't want Mark to come with us. But now in 2 Timothy, years later, he said, hey, bring Mark along. 
proven to be useful for me in ministry. Friendship didn't give Mark a free pass for his past mistakes. It allowed Paul to still have boundaries and like, I don't think it's wise to bring Mark on this journey. But friendship was also the means by those past mistakes to be forgiven and Mark to prove to be a vital member of the team. And notice he even mentions Luke is with him now, but Luke wasn't with him during his defense. No one was. Yet Paul said, don't let this be held against him. He had no animosity toward others because Paul knew that the faith he proclaimed was one of forgiveness. And he needed to model that in his own life, even to those who let him down and hurt him. He wasn't willing to say, I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I am not going to forgive them. Because, friends, Jesus actually makes us better friends. Faithful believers should be the most faithful friends. When we love our neighbors the best is when we are being the best friends that we can be. And this also means personal reconciliation when we've been wronged. It means forgiveness in conflict. Jesus is the perfect example for us of a true friend. So as we follow him, we become better friends. You know the old question, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? There's a second question. That's an okay question if you ask a second question to follow up, which is WDJD, which is what did Jesus do, right? And friends, as he hung on the cross, we must remember he was crucified by those who came to save and deserted by the friends who walked with him for three years. And in the midst of that, he uttered the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As Jesus' people, that means we forgive our friends even when they hurt us. Being a good friend means living as much like Jesus as possible. Forgiving those who offend us and seeking to reconcile where possible. And sometimes, friends, it's not possible. Sometimes it's not possible to reconcile with others. And that's where we leave point five. Point five says this, leave room for God's retribution. Leave room for God's retribution. Sometimes you just simply cannot work it out with someone. Paul speaks about, he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. I love the qualifiers, because sometimes it's not possible, and sometimes you've done all you can do, and yet that person still does not want peace with you. So what do we do then? What do we do when there is someone who just simply does not want peace with us? Post it on Facebook? No, Paul says this, verse 14. Notice what he says. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul trusts that the Lord will judge and the Lord will deal with those who wronged him. Friends, have you ever thought about how the future judgment day impacts your presence? Have you ever thought about the fact 
that the doctrine of hell, so despised by many, truly is a comfort for those longing for justice. If you've been afflicted, deserted, betrayed, backstabbed, heartbroken, abused, gossiped about, friends, the King of kings and Lord of lords sees it, and the judge of all the earth has never gotten the case wrong, and he will deal with it far better than you could. Paul actually opens this principle up, and I love this. In Romans chapter 12, he says this, Romans 12, 19 and 20. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his love that. He says, to the friend who hurt you, no matter how much you want to, don't avenge yourselves. And you know if you were really their friend, you know how to stick it right? You know how to hurt that person who hurt you. He says, rather display kindness. Bless. Don't curse. Let God deal with those who wronged you, whether friend or foe. And I love the picture of as you show kindness, God is keeping hot coals on their head. He says, don't return their pettiness with more of the same or their hostility with more of the same. He says, rather buy their lunch and upsize the drink. And by doing so, you've honored God and you might just bring softening to their heart. That picture of hot coals falling on them, not just a picture of God sticking it to them, but it could even be the picture of them beginning to soften and turn and be reconciled. Friends, revenge may feel better in the moment, but revenge has never made things better in the long term. And you will never do better than the judge of all the earth. You don't need social media to be the judge. You don't need the people of Katie's to be the judge. You don't need to let public opinion adjudicate the case. You let the judge of all settle it in his time. Friendship is a gift to be received. It can be a painful reality because people are going to hurt us. But we shouldn't let past experiences soil continued relationships. We should leave room for reconciliation, leave room for God's retribution. And finally, six, we must place our hope in God. No matter where you are today, place your hope in God as your friend and your rescuer. See the hope at the center of this passage, 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18. Yes, these people deserted him. Yes, he's there in this chair, in this jail cell. By, he's, nobody came to his first account. He's got Luke there with him. And in the midst of even standing by himself, the apostle Paul says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He said, no one came to my defense, but God came to my defense. Nobody might be present with me now, but God is present with me. 
And when you stand alone, when your friends let you down, when death lingers large, when you're sitting in the prison shackled to despair, when you're ready to give up, you have a friend who is present in your suffering. You have one who always answers when you call, one who isn't fallen, fickle, or finite, one who stands beside you and strengthens you, one who rescues you from the lion's mouth, one who rescues you from every evil deed, and one who promises to bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom, and one to whom eternal glory is due. And that friend is Jesus Christ, the one who sticks closer than any friend or brother. You've sang the hymn before. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who with all our sorrows sh share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And in his arms he'll take and shield thee. saves us from our sins even when we were his enemies. Jesus is a friend who strengthens us in our trial so that we might proclaim his sufficient gospel. Jesus is a friend who rescues us from ourselves and keeps us to the end secure by grace. And Jesus is a friend who understood Paul's experience as he's in the prison and he understands your experience today. Jesus understands what it is to feel weak, frail, and alone. Jesus understands what it is to feel betrayed and broken and bitter and in conflict with his closest friends. He knows what it is to be betrayed by one of those closest to him. Paul here in verses 17 and 18 seems to be making an allusion to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 was a psalm written by David as David was experiencing relational conflict and betrayal, written long before Jesus came. But Psalm 22 is also a prophecy about the coming Messiah, about Jesus being forsaken. And if you go and read that when you get home today, it even uses the language of a lion's mouth, of death as a lion consuming him. In fact, as Jesus was torn apart by the lion of death on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet the cross wasn't the end of the story. He sees deliverance in the empty tomb, and he ascends into heaven on our behalf. Friends, if you feel betrayed by a friend near you, bring it to Jesus, who understands and is able to give you grace in your times of need. Do you feel hurt beyond words? A cross declares that Jesus understands. Are you wounded? Place it in his nail-scarred hands. And there's nothing his resurrection power can't heal. Friends, there is no reason to bring 2023 into 2024 with you. And there's even less reason to bring what they did to you years back into the new Give it to Jesus, he'll crucify it with him, he'll bury it, and the good news is he walks out of the tomb in balance. 
and accusate of its power over your life? Are you lonely? Are you broken? Are you frail and weak as a new year begins? Jesus wants this church to be a place where you can find friends to walk beside you. Just know we're human too. We're going to let you down. But maybe today you're in a place without any friends. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who was so committed to you that he even died for you. The promise is to take you by the hand and take you all the way to your heavenly home. And the invitation today is to call on that friend and he will come to you. No one could come to Paul's side, but Jesus, the friend of sinners. And today, others may not be able to come to your side, but Jesus, the friend of, the friend of sinners, can meet you where you are. Place your life in his hands. He's proven to be the friend and savior to sinners and the friend and physician to the hurting. And to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and pray and prepare to respond to God's word. God, as a new year approaches, we need to come with a clean slate. To come not holding on to what's happened to us, not holding on to what others have done to us, or even holding on to what we might have done to others. But Lord, we need to lay it at your feet where you can forgive it, where you can crucify it, where you can bury it, for it to never be brought back to life again. So, God, I ask that you would do that. I know that there's people here today who feel in conflict with. Maybe they feel broken over various friends.